0: Welcome to the journey. Um, the journey, as uh, as we have been doing now, coming up on two years, and this being episode um, one hundred, um, is uh, essentially a stories, uh, a, a group of stories, primarily conversations, but but also um, they have been uh, uh, stories of individuals who have. Uh, maybe had ordinary lives, but because of some type of setback, some type of uh, uh, maybe a, a stumbling, uh, maybe a failure, maybe either through mental illness, through uh, suicide, through addiction, or possibly even a change in uh Uh, a job or career or change in direction um, as a result of something, or maybe just a restlessness individuals have come on, um, come on the journey and shared um, their stories over the last two years of how they uh, learned from that uh, failure or setback, and/or and, uh, maybe something that was calling them and, and pushing them out of their comfort zone, and that they wanted to do something uh, something more than they had been up to this to this point. This particular episode, as I mentioned, episode 100, is really kind of a, uh, a reflection on uh, some of the things that I had learned over this time period. It it has been an interesting uh, interesting two years uh, and had some phenomenal guests um, that have done amazing things, not only with their life, um, but then also uh, the impact that they've had on other individuals. Um, We've had certain individuals on numerous times, Kylie Lewis and Dalton Bullard and Xavier Whitford have been on uh, numerous times, uh, as well as uh, Rob Young has come on and, and shared his uh, his story and, and what different impacts that they've have made for their community, as well as the transformations in their life. We have had uh, some uh, un. un- uh, the good fortune of being able to capture some some stories, and then tragically, um, lives have been cut short. Uh, Ryan Hoskins' uh, story that uh, he was able to share his story of uh, recovery um, from his addictions, and then unfortunately died a few months later in a tragic car accident and Lisa Neubauer um, being able to share her story um, of, of not only being a, a mental a women's advocate, women's right advocate and an advocate for mental health, but her own story of her journey with cancer and how she had learned how to embrace life and uh, be able to save her life with the time period that she had while she was battling cancer. So it has been a pretty amazing journey in itself. Um, When Dalton and I started this process, Dalton was my original producer and and my son Caleb has now been the producer for the past uh, uh, six months, nine months right now. Uh, We talked about the idea that we need to just get started with this. Uh, And this, again, this was in the beginning of of 90, uh, mid year of 98. We talked about this idea that we just need to start recognizing that if we give 100% at this particular time period, that this would be a learning process, that we will continue to improve and continue to get better um, as we learn more and more about how to do this. Um, and and I think that we've definitely learned a, a ton. I know I've learned a ton during this time period. And one of those things uh, has been, we went from doing all in-person uh, interviews to, uh, last April or so, April of 20, we started doing everything via a Zoom or, a, a re, well, Zoom would be the way that we, we did a lot of the recordings and then produced them from there because of the uh, pandemic of, of 2020 with, uh, with COVID. So today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about um, the journey of developing resiliency. Um, and how uh, I went about, in my own life, reflecting on that and how some of the things that have happened in my life, how that has been an experience in which, um, for me, to being, uh, to being able to uh, develop resiliency. Uh, this probably starts back... Uh, um, like many things I've had, I had a major setback uh, three years ago. I have shared before about the accident that, that I had when I was out in Colorado um, with Caleb hiking. And that, uh, that accident led to uh, uh, almost a complete uh, uh, rupture of my quadricep tendon and led to an emergency surgery um, in Aspen um, after they had rescued me off the mountain. And then the, process of healing and recovery as I came back to Rockford from Aspen, and then the 12 weeks that led uh, led to not only a physical recovery, but then also um, some emot- emotional and spiritual uh, discovery as, as I was physically healing and recovering. Uh, and one of those things that came out of that was a deeper dive into um, Ryan Holiday's work um, in the obstacles the way, and a further uh, journey of discovering about Joseph Campbell's uh, uh, hero's journey, and I've I've talked many times about the the hero's journey of of moving from an order or a normal into uh, being thrust into um, a disorder, or that is sometimes considered the abyss or the initiation phase or the dark night of the soul, and there. In that phase is where we learn about our stuff, learn about ourselves, the stuff that may be holding us back, um, the the dragons or the 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 demons that we may have that we have to address. Maybe those uh, fears, those insecurities, those things that we've been avoiding. Um, maybe it has to do with a secret, um, something that may be going on that we have been. Uh, busy uh, trying to create a life that would be maybe out of compensation or out of uh, uh, of trying to uh, find a way of of creating a creating some level of life or success, but really, this whole time, uh, what we may be searching for is this uh, this peace that's been inside, and that those things that we've been avoiding, those things that we've been trying to um, uh, compensate for uh, those fears that we have May them in themselves. Those particular obstacles may very well hold um, some level of secret of something that we have to go through um, for, for some level of self-discovery that is then awaits for us to then uh, bring back to uh, the people that need it. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it's our clients. Uh, maybe it's the students that we work with um, or our customers. And that is that cycle of order, disorder, and reorder. Um, for myself, uh, I've always enjoyed history and always enjoyed looking at historical figures. Um, regardless of it is uh, when I was young and and looking at who would be uh, the archetypal heroes of of my life. Um, originally, it was, Uh, at that time, football players. And then later, it was also stories of of Native American um, uh, leaders and and warriors at that time. And then studying also during the Civil War era and World War II era and different individuals and what they did during those time periods. Later, it was in time periods of when I was... um, when I was working uh, and had different things, regardless if it was in athletics or later in business, I would look th- look at different leaders at different times and what did they do during the Great Depression? What did they do during World War II? What did they do during different different aspects of, of history and how did they navigate through that? Um, we just recently went through the 2020 election and um, and I look back on uh, the ups and downs politically of of Abraham Lincoln's career, who clearly had more defeats as a career politician and more defeats as a businessman than he did have victories. And then when he did win um, uh, the presidential election, he came into a time period that that it was, the United States was at such a struggle um, that we were, what we think today is the great divide um, that's happening in the United States. At that time, um, literally the North and the South were divided economically, philosophy wise. And it was Lincoln's vision of being able to keep the America, keep the the United States united and keeping it one country. And as we know that that had led to um, the Civil War and led to um, uh, many many uh, deaths and a, and a tremendous amount of bloodshed at that time period. I think looking at how did Lincoln navigate through that, navigate through the war and then his uh, uh, projections of how to do the reconstruction project as he saw the war coming to an end is things that we can learn, learn about and learn from during this time period. And I think of Nelson Mandela as well and his time period as president um, uh, or or before when he was imprisoned uh, in South America or South Africa, I'm sorry, as well as then when he was released and then elected as the first black um, uh, South African uh, president. There is a a passage that I want to read that I think is also something that we can learn from. Starts off, after becoming president, I asked some of my bodyguard members to go for a walk in town. After the walk, we went for lunch at a restaurant. We sat in one of the most central ones, and each of us asked what we wanted. And after a bit of waiting, the waiter who brought our menus appeared. And at that moment, I realized that at the table that was right in front of ours, there was a single man waiting to be served also. When he was served, I told one of my soldiers, go ask that man to join us. The soldier went and transmitted my invitation. The man stood up, took the plate and sat next to me. While eating, his his hands were constantly shaking and he didn't lift his head from the food. And when we finished, yeah, when we finished, he waved at me without even looking at me. I shook his hand and he walked away. The soldier said to me, President Mandela, That man must be very sick as his hands wouldn't stop shaking while he was eating. Not at all. The reason for his tremor is another. They looked at me weird and said to them, that man was the guardian of the jail I was locked up in. Often after torture, uh, the torture that I was subjected to, I screamed and cried for water and he came to humiliate me even more. He laughed at me and instead of giving me water, he urinated on my head. He wasn't sick. He was scared and shook, maybe fearing that I, now that I'm president of South Africa, would send him to jail and do the same thing he did with me, torturing and humiliating him. But that's not me. That behavior is not part of my character nor my ethics. Minds that that seek revenge destroy states, while those that seek reconciliation build nations. Nelson Mandela. I think um, as I reflect on that story, that at the time when President Mandela had the, all the power at his disposal, that he showed um, not only um, mercy and, and grace, that, but he showed this compassion for this, um, for this particular individual that previous in a different type of uh, scenario, Um, took advantage of his position and further humiliated uh, someone that was a captive. Now, when he could have gotten uh, uh, a type of justice and probably some people would feel uh, deserve that, he chose to show a greater principle, a a greater um, moral value of showing um, a compassion, showing a grace and and a mercy for the individual, and maybe by doing that, showed him, showed this particular individual a different way of how he could do his life. That is an example um, for me, uh, those two, what Lincoln did, what Mandela did, that in their life, through their suffering, through their struggle, which we're all going to have, all of us are going to have some level uh, of suffering because it's part of life that they both equally knew that each of us are gonna suffer as Richard Rohr um, talks about, but we each have a choice. Are we gonna transform from our pain or are we going to transmit it? Richard Rohr's quote says, if you do not transform your pain, you will almost certainly transmit it. Let me share that again. If you do not transform your pain, you will almost certainly transmit it. In other words, none of us uh, choose the suffering that we currently have, the setbacks, the losses that we have. Maybe, yes, we did have choices that may have set that up or or contributed to um, some type of loss or some type of setback or some type of failure, but that was not our intent. the suffering that comes with that loss is a byproduct of life. And what we do with that suffering is entirely up to us. We can either do the work of transformation and learning um, from the setback and, and seeking out what is what is the gold within uh, within the pain or we can ignore that and suppress it, attempt for it to, hopefully go away and then uh, unfortunately maybe transmit that to someone that may um, be one of our loved ones or someone that may be innocent. What I'd like to share um, today is seven steps to develop resiliency, which is an aspect or a part of transformation, which is an aspect of being in that uh, disorder phase. The first thing to keep in mind when we find ourselves with some type of setback or some type of um, loss is recognizing that each and each one of us are called to a bigger story. I know that for myself that I needed to, to uh, believe that uh, that. That my life and the individuals around me, similar to uh, Lincoln, similar to Mandela, that it was uh, is part of a bigger story. That Lincoln's uh, contribution to the United States um, was was more than just his own life, but that it led as a model um, and a way for the the United States of America to continue to um, to work to. To be the United States um, instead of a divided and splitting our splitting our country into two separate countries, and Mandela, Mandela is suffering of being in prison and the torturing and the beatings that he endured. That it was part of a bigger story, a way of of unifying a country, um, breaking the the discrimination and the separate separateness of, uh, of what was happening in South America based upon, um, based upon race and how to lead a people to being able to be a model of that integration of, of two different uh, cultures as well as two different races. So number one is recognizing that you are part of a bigger story, that what's currently happening is not, uh, is not the story, it's just part of that story. And number two is what we consider in in counseling, um, counseling 101, is that what is it that you can control? There's a lot of things in life that we can't control. Um, But what we know that we can control for sure is first, I'm able to control what I choose to do. And number two, I'm able to control my thought process. Number one, I can, I can choose to stand up, I can choose to sit down. Um, I may not be able to choose the circumstances in which I do need to stand up or I need to sit down, but I, but I can choose if I can if I'm going to do that or not. And I also can, can control the story that I'm going to tell myself. I may not be able to control the thought that comes in, but I do have the ability to control how long I am going to entertain that thought. The third is practicing self-care. Um, Many individuals, especially, uh, we talk a lot about this idea of practicing self-care, which I deeply appreciate. On one hand, unfortunately, I've been hearing some uh, pushback regarding that, that somehow self-care is uh, kind of uh, fluffy and it's not necessarily, uh, it's not dealing with reality, I think I've heard somebody say. When in, when what I believe though, when we talk about self care, is I am not necessarily only talking about being able to identify when you need to take a break, but actually being able to do the hard things in life. To me, self care is one of the toughest things that I need to do. It talks about self discipline, it talks about the idea of of doing, um, not necessarily what I want to do, or I feel like doing, but doing the things, the tough things of taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So what are some of those things that we need to do to take care of ourselves physically so that we have the reserves and we have the energy and the capacity to be able to, um, uh, to, to, to change my mindset and change uh, and or at least influence changing my circumstances <clears throat> that I physically need to make sure that I get adequate amount of sleep, to make sure that my sleep hygiene and having a high quality of sleep and then also a quantity of sleep as well. I know that that has been a struggle in my life of being able to try to get away with uh, four to six hours of sleep when what I'm recognizing now that I need I need closer to that seven to nine hours of sleep um, and that the quality of the sleep is, is high and that I'm able to get into that deeper sleep and that deeper REM sleep, um, that I'm able to make sure that I have um, proper nutrition, <coughs> that I'm able to uh, choose to um, nourish my body with foods that are, are actually um, uh, high quality whole foods and avoid foods that have um, empty calories, making sure that I have proper hydration, and then making sure that I have um, a proper amount of uh, regular or consistent exercise, that not only cardiovascular exercise, but then also uh, uh, anaerobic exercise to make sure that I continue to keep um, uh, a certain amount of muscle mass and, and, and strength and core strength as well. And then mentally making sure that we, that we focus on having uh, a proper, uh, well-disciplined thought process and and being able to regulate um, my own emotional, uh, uh, my own emotions. And so what are some things that we can do? Uh, Breathing exercises, uh, we've talked about uh, combat breathing and box breathing, um, emotional freedom technique or tapping is one of those things. Um, being able to practice meditation and mindfulness, giving myself an opportunity for solitude and being able, to, in my case, uh, being outside and, and being able to get away from the the noise of my thoughts and the busyness of, of the screens. Um, being able to reflect with journaling, uh, Being able to uh, see opportunities to help out or pay it forward with someone who may be less fortunate or be able to uh, surprise someone with uh, just doing uh, a random act of kindness. Um, Continue to have an attitude of curiosity to be able to explore and try new things. And then, just as this talk is specifically talking about being around and surrounding myself with stories of either in-person or stories of historical figures of people who have overcome difficult things and have uh, stories of resiliency in their life. So, so far we have uh, three. Uh, Number one, that you're part of a bigger story. Number two, knowing that what you can control is first your actions and your thoughts, and then practicing, uh, self-care in the areas of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. That this idea of maintaining perspective is another key ingredient. So the fourth is this idea of maintaining perspective. Um, this reminds me of, uh, something that I've shared with people before that when I was coaching football, that, uh, I always enjoyed most being on the sideline and being with the players and, and all the energy that came on the sideline and being able to be with them and, and talk with them and motivate them and inspire them while, while I was there with them in the midst of the game. And I remember the head coach that I worked for at the time wanted me uh, for a particular game to um, go up in the booth and, and give him, uh, uh, to help him see regarding uh, defensive uh, Uh, play calling uh, to be able to give another set of eyes uh, from up in the booth. And at first I was very disappointed about that. And then after spending time um, with that game being in the booth, I recognized the benefit of having a higher um, altitude in this case and, and a different perspective because the things that I could see unfolding on the field, and the, the different plays and how our players were playing, I was able to give feedback and able to coach them different from the booth, being able to see the whole field versus on the sideline where I was in the midst of it and could only see um, uh, directly what was in front of me. And probably also being that the height that I am, I wasn't able to see as, as, um, as, 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 over the whole field, um, but from the from the booth, from that higher altitude, I was able to see a much bigger picture, and that that definitely gave me a broader perspective. Um, so this idea of maintaining a perspective, looking at things from uh, not just what's in front of me, but then also this broader perspective as well. <clears throat> Number five is this idea of practicing cognitive reframing or cognitive restructuring. In other words, practicing uh, being able to see things, uh, not just from a different perspective, but then seeing things in a way of, instead of maybe half empty, how do I see uh, not just either half empty or half full, but recognizing that maybe it is just, uh, let's say six ounces of liquid in a 12 ounce glass. Maybe the this idea of just looking at it for what it is objectively regarding, uh, uh, regarding that aspect of how much liquid is in the glass versus this added story of it being half full or half empty um, based upon my story that I tell myself. The other aspect of it, and this just recently happened to me um, a few months ago, I did that thing that um, other, other probably everybody listening has done at one time or not. I uh, could not find my keys to my vehicle thank goodness that I had an extra set of, of keys to my truck. And um, so I, for the most part, I had, I, I had avoided any major uh, catastrophe or any major expenses because I just used that extra set. Though I was concerned at this point because now I have, I'm now using the only set of keys that I have. Um, so as you may have gone through something similar to this, um, I could not find these keys. I looked in uh, different coat pockets. I looked in different pants pockets. This was in the summertime, so I looked in different shorts. And because it was right around that time period where there was the change of seasons, I even went through uh, shorts that I probably hadn't worn for maybe over a year, but I went through those pockets as well and searched in the car, searched, tried to backtrack all the different steps. And at some point, I just said, okay, I don't know where those keys are at. I'm pretty sure they're not in the garbage. I don't think someone came and stole the keys because the vehicle was still there. Where I don't know where those keys. After numerous times asking my wife and and her frustration, uh, still reiterating to me that she doesn't know, and then also asking uh, individuals that didn't even live in my house anymore, my adult uh, young adult children. Uh, where, where my keys may be, I decided that I no longer need to ask them that because the answers didn't seem to change, uh, even though I continued to ask the question. Two nights ago, I was in the process of getting ready to take our dog for um, her evening walk. And as I was searching for her collar, which I couldn't find at the time because it wasn't in the bin that I normally have it, I um, I went went searching through the bin, started digging through the bin for the collar maybe it somehow got tucked down and in the midst of searching through the bin where the where usually the dog stuff is in this case of looking for the collar, I came across the lost um, lost car keys or the truck keys. <clears throat> As I <laughs> was relieved that I finally found the keys, I recognized, Though for months, I thought the keys were lost. And in the back of my mind, I had this belief or this thought that they weren't lost. I just didn't know where they were at. And that to me is an example of, of practicing cognitive reframing. The keys actually weren't lost. I just didn't know where they were at. And it was just a matter of me Coming across, i not still sure to the moment, how they got into the, the dog's bin of, of, of uh, the different things of leashes and different things for the dog. But nonetheless, that is where the keys were and that they weren't technically lost. They just were not in a place where I knew where it was at. And I think that's an example, that is the fifth of the, the seven techniques in which we can work to develop resiliency, is how do we reframe a setback? How do we reframe some type of loss? Um, some other examples with that is being able to identify um, something that's happened in this particular case, uh, the keys being lost or some type, of, some type of setback, and then making sure that we keep it just as that. That is the objective part. And that the story that we tell ourselves, um, this always happens, or I can't believe this is gonna happen, or this must mean blank is gonna happen, is the subjective part. To be able to differentiate um, what has happened and then the story that we tell ourselves, uh, the subjective part. And then also in that process of being able to focus on what we can control and accepting what we can't control for three months or so, I accepted that I could not control, not knowing where the keys were. But somewhere in there, there was a a belief that at some time, unbeknownst to me, sometime, I didn't know when, but that I would be able to, uh, discover those keys that I just didn't know where they were at. Um, Now, there's not anywhere in my mind I would have thought I would have found them where I did find them. Um, But this idea of being being able to accept what I can't control and focus on what I can control. And I think probably the simplest example as we go into uh, the change of seasons is the weather. Um, I can't uh, do anything about uh, the weather getting colder in this particular case or six months from now when the weather starts getting warmer, I don't have any control over the change in the temperature, but I have complete control over appropriate dress. As the months get colder and the nights get uh, colder, I can uh, purchase appropriate, uh, weather, uh, appropriate gear. So when I take the dog for a walk, that I am not feeling uh, the bitterness of the cold, that I'm wearing appropriate clothing uh, for that walk and that I'm then able to enjoy that um, very similar to in the summertime when I don't have to wear the same, uh, type, of, uh, uh, type, same type of clothing. So uh, this idea of being able to reframe things um, can start with accepting what I can't control and focusing and putting my mental energy into the things that I can control. Um, number six. Of, of the seven is that learning from mistakes this idea that historically for myself I have learned more from <clears throat> from those setbacks from from either near misses or or actually what would be considered at that time um, a failure um, that when I've made those mistakes that uh that I've, I've learned and taken the opportunity to learn from them so that I don't have to uh, have the same feeling as that setback uh, caused. Um, This was similar to, um, as I mentioned earlier, is that this idea that knowing that when we started doing the podcast, that We knew that over time with practice that we would improve on certain techniques and improve on um, feeling more comfortable. And that I know that that will continue happening um, over time that this may be the hundredth episode of doing this, that by the time we do the 200th episode, that it will continue to improve and and continue to learn new techniques of, of, of being able to dissect things, being able to interview, being able to hear and being able to capture stories. So this idea that it doesn't have to be perfect before we do it and that when things don't go the way that I want them to go, they are an opportunity to improve on. <clears throat> And this idea that goes along with that is that the greater the obstacle, the greater the opportunity for growth. Um, none of us want to go through any significant setbacks or losses, but when they do, or when barriers are in our way um, to to being able to ground ourselves and being able to look at, okay, <clears throat> I don't have to respond in an emotional way, allow myself to get, First, ground it, and then being able to what is the best perspective that I can that I can take from this? What is the best plan of action that I can take from this? And recognizing as new information comes, that I can then pivot with that new information, and then make an adaptation and make a change. The seventh um, uh, step in resiliency, and for me, is one of the most important things: is being able to. <clears throat> being able to remember that the story that I'm gonna tell at some future time is the story that I'm currently writing. That my current choices that I'm making, the current actions that I'm taking, um, that whatever may be happening in my today is an opportunity for me to contribute to the story that I will be telling at some uh, time into the future. Um, This was probably, impacted me most significantly. Um, As I mentioned, three years ago, uh, I came back from Colorado. And uh, as I was talking to Dr. Milos, who's my follow up physician, and he was looking at the the, the work of the surgeons out in Colorado. And he said that everything looked, um, looked well, it looked like my leg was going to be completely healed in 12 weeks. And even though that and one hand sounded encouraging the other part was clearly that 12 weeks was um would to be a long ways away and initially things went really well but I clearly remember um about the four week mark where I started uh, becoming frustrated with uh, not being able to drive still being in a cast and not being able and capable of bending my leg I was uh Uh, definitely less than halfway through um, the rehabilitation of my leg and remembering what Dr. Milo had said that in 12 weeks, my leg would be completely healed. And even though I was at the four week mark and I knew that I had more to go than I had already gone, um, that even then being a third of the way through, this was part of the story. And me being in a bad mood in that particular day and being grumpy and being upset about it, I clearly recognized that that was gonna be part of the story as well. And how long I was in that bad mood, how long I was stuck in that that space was also gonna be the story. And what was I doing to get out of that uh, mindset and get into a a, a more life-giving or healthy mindset so that I could continue um, not only the rehab work, but then keeping my um, mental and emotional and spiritual well-being also fit. So this idea that I would invite you into is that part of resiliency, part of transformation is recognizing that not only the first one, that you're part of a bigger story, but the seventh one is that you are writing that story that you're gonna be later contributing to. What you want to share at the end as this pandemic is uh, contained, we're getting back to the the new reorder, the new um, life. Um, What is the story that you're going to share of uh, the holidays of 2020? What did you do? How did you do that? How did you embrace that time period and make the best of what was going on? This is all part of developing that resiliency and being able to transform versus transmit the pain that comes with suffering. So let me recap the seven steps to develop resiliency. First and foundationally, making sure that we recognize that each of us are part of a bigger story. That number two, what is it that we can control? That we can control our, our, our behavioral choices and we can control the story that we tell ourselves or the thoughts that we have and we can regulate our emotions. To practice self-care from a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual standpoint, to be able to maintain perspective, that recognizing that sometimes we need to get a broader, bigger perspective and look at that, what is it from a different angle? To be able to practice cognitive restructuring and reframing, to be able to recognize that maybe that it is six ounces of liquid in a 12 ounce glass, that it doesn't necessarily have to be half empty or half full, that maybe it's just six ounces of liquid. To be able to practice learning from mistakes and being able to give ourselves permission to be curious and not be paralyzed by the fear of making mistakes, but recognizing that some of our greatest opportunities for growth come when an obstacle happens and comes when a mistake ends up happening, even if we do uh, attempt to give 100% at something and recognizing that the story that we currently are writing is the story that we are gonna tell at a later date, regardless of where we're at in our journey, regardless of the obstacles in our life or the victories that we currently have, all of it is material that are leading to a story that we are gonna tell at a greater time period. As we've talked many times, that uh, being able to be in the race metaphorically being able to, to compete, to push ourselves, to give to give 100%, um, that is part of doing life. That preparation, the effort of giving 100%, recognizing that we may fall down and that isn't the end of the story because maybe a greater part of the story is rising when we fall because it may mean less about what place we have, but more importantly, that we rise every time that we fall. Thank you very much for being with us today. Um, I hope you uh, will take in consideration um, that each and every one of us have the opportunity to continue developing resiliency and resiliency can become part of, of a lifestyle and a mindset that when our setbacks happen, when um, losses of of different types of losses happen, that um, they will just be part of a greater story that you'll be telling, and that transformation um, can happen. Thank you, more, thank you very much for being with us, and I look forward to being with you again.